This is a Federal News Network podcast. When NASA succeeds in sending people to Mars and returning them to the moon, it will be thanks to thousands of people who never get there themselves. One of those people has had a 31-year career at NASA, leading teams concerned with a variety of activities, planning human space travel, improving space station safety, bringing commercial launch capabilities to NASA. For her career's work, she's a recent Presidential Rank Award recipient. The director of the Johnson Space Center, Vanessa White, joins me now. Ms. White, good to have you on. Good morning. Glad to be on. Thank you. And congratulations on getting a Presidential Rank Award. And I want to get right into it because you have some really interesting career highlights, including leading the team that looked at the whole issue of space exploration beyond the moon by human beings, because we know NASA's gotten to Mars, but not with people aboard. And Tell us what that involved and what you did there. Yes. Well, Tom, I had the privilege of leading a directorate here at Johnson called the Exploration Integration and Science Directorate. And they're leading the mission planners that look at human missions beyond what we're doing in low Earth orbit. And so working with our sister centers and headquarters on identifying plans for going to Mars but utilizing and understanding that we need to prove technologies and operations closer to home. So with the moon being 250,000 miles away, we can get there in about three days versus going to Mars, which going there and coming back is a three-year round trip. So we've been planning and working and laying out human missions, then working with our mission directorate up at NASA headquarters and agreeing that we needed to work with the international community as well as the commercial providers to come up with the plan. So laying that out, what we put together was a global exploration roadmap. And the plans that we have today are built along those plans as well. So we are going with Artemis, as you may know, that's our current moon plan where we will go to the moon. We'll have a platform that's being managed out of the Johnson Space Center called Gateway. And that platform will allow us to have human landers. Those landing systems will attach to the Gateway and those landing systems will go to the moon. Then after we have tested out some technologies and proven operations and set up a lunar base, we will have the ability to do testing and then move forward to Mars. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, from everything I've read and the people I've interviewed at NASA, there are lots of brilliant people there in the science and engineering area. I imagine those conversations can get tough, you know, and maybe a little headstrong. And how do you keep the emotion out of something that is so consequential so that you can arrive at a goal that everyone can live with and still speak to each other afterwards? So, Tom, we are an organization, as you just said, of engineers and scientists, and we believe in data, we believe in facts. So what we do is that we lay and we present that information out and we challenge one another to make sure that we come up with the best solution. But the emotion is taken out of it by sticking to what is proven and what we know we can prove going forward. And you as a high level administrator also have some pretty serious engineering chops in your own background, correct? Yes. Uh, I do have an undergraduate degree in engineering as well as a master's degree in bioengineering. And I began my career here as a project engineer building flight hardware and flying that on the space shuttle, working my way up through management to managing shuttle missions that actually built the International Space Station and being a part of human spaceflight for many years. So I do have a lot of experience. 
And I'm thinking that must be a high that not a lot of people get when you watch these instruments actually take off and go places that everyone around you might be cheering and screaming and you have some inner knowledge that they don't. It is a wonderful feeling when you see your experiment and you see your astronauts, you see the space station coming together and knowing all that it took to make that happen, but then just the satisfaction of just marveling in what we can achieve as human beings. We're speaking with Vanessa White. She's director of NASA's Johnson Space Center and a recipient of one of this year's Presidential Rank Awards. And let me ask you about the incident that you had some help to improve safety at the International Space Station after it's not exactly as well-known as Apollo 13, but there was a serious mishap that could have resulted in loss of life. Yes, we had astronauts that were out doing what we call an extravehicular activity or in spacewalk outside of the International Space Station. And because of a malfunction, there was water that got into the helmet and in zero uh, gravity, microgravity, that water can uh, move up and into as much what's coming in, potentially cause someone to not be able to get air, you drown. However, in this instance, uh, we were able to quickly respond operationally and get the astronaut back inside and to save him from that situation. So uh, following that incident, uh, we had a team of investigators looking at what caused it. Was it from a malfunction with the hardware system itself? Was it an operational error? We determined what the issue was and it was with the hardware itself. We came up with a workaround that we are now have in place. And so now when the astronauts go back out, there's not an issue. We've solved it. However, we know that the hardware that we're currently flying, uh, we have been flying that same technology, but upgrades to it since the 1980s. And so we recently, very, just so super excited, years of trying and pushing towards getting funding, Myself, as director of the previous organization, EISD, Exploration Integration and Science, working with our headquarters team, with our stakeholders to get funding to now build a new suit. So we will have a new exploration suit that we will be testing out on the International Space Station and using for our upcoming Artemis mission. And we've been talking about a lot of activities that have been NASA's own, the construction of the early space vehicles and the design of spacesuits and this kind of thing. Of course, in recent years, commercial technology and commercial operations really have come deeply into what NASA is doing. And how has that been for someone whose career is NASA and surrounded by many career people at NASA when you see industry starting to do, at NASA's choice, what had been done earlier by NASA itself How does that change things? It's a great benefit to us because as the commercial industry is able to take on and do more things, then we can focus our engineers and scientists on proving other technologies. So we're very fortunate to currently have the commercial crew program where we have one company that is currently launching our astronauts from Florida, and we'll have another one that will be coming online very soon. But that ability for us to have our astronauts to be able to launch again from Florida is a big deal. We're very thankful for that. Then at the same time, it allows us to focus on other things like the deep space exploration that I talked about.
And in 31 years at NASA as a career official in the last five or six years as a senior executive, you've seen administrations come and go. You've seen administrators come and go. You've seen priorities come and go and budgetary vicissitudes come and go. How do you sustain your vision and your willingness to keep at it when sometimes the situation surrounding a given center is just constantly in flux? So I think it's because of our desire to explore as humans and to stay focused on the bigger picture of human exploration for my center. And we've been fortunate, uh, as I mentioned, there have been times when we've had push and pulls between Moon or Mars, but to finally come up with a plan that demonstrates that we can do both, that we can explore the Moon for the benefit of then exploring Mars that will then allow us to go further into the universe. And what is your view of the up-and-coming workforce? I mean, you are still engaged with engineering colleges and universities. You're on boards and panels connected to them. And there's a lot going on in higher education that may be not so positive for the future workforce. But from the STEM side, what does it look like to you at this point? Well, I'm just so very thrilled because now at the universities. Because of the push at NASA and so many other organizations of making people aware of STEM and STEM careers, we have such diversity coming out of our colleges, so many more women, so many people of color. And so that is going to be very important for us as our agency brings those folks in and bring them into working as a part of our NASA team. And sounds like you would choose a federal career again if you had an array before you. I've had a wonderful career, Tom. I would, <laughs> I can just tell you that um, I began my career with the Food and Drug Administration as a medical device evaluator, loved it, great job. The opportunity that I've had at NASA, the career that I've had here, every day I get to come to work and do what I love to do. And is it better to be in Houston than in Washington? <laughs> From my point of view, it's, it's a toss-up, but I would just tell you I love it here. I love uh, being able to come to work every day and know that our astronauts are safe and sound on board the International Space Station. They have been for 21 years, and I have the opportunity to help and make sure that that continues to happen. Vanessa Weich is director of NASA's Johnson Space Center and a recipient of one of this year's Presidential Rank Awards. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so very much. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Launch the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, The first person personally was my mom. Uh, She was a single parent 
And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while, although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks um, as part of her job. She worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated. Uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on 
what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective about my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. With Target Red Card, you'll save 5% every day, in-store and online. Find the red card that's right for you. Whether it's debit, credit, or Target's new Red Card Reloadable, which doesn't require an existing bank account or credit check. With Target Red Card, you'll get exclusive deals and free shipping on most items. Visit Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. It's always a great day to save. Restrictions apply.